The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor at Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in markets. Stocks are up more than 1% today, building on last week's gains, and Barron's Deputy Editor Ben Levison is going to tell us whether this rally will last. Sorry to put you on the spot there, Ben, but how are you doing and what do you make of this market? Oh, it's a, it's a fun market. I'm, I'm doing great. Um, you know, it's nice to see the market uh, bounce back. Um, it, it's an interesting market. I, I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, you, you look at the peop- people's opinion for why uh, we're getting this kind of rally that we are. And, you know, they're they're all over the place. Some are, you know, talking about the market um, not being, um, you know, not being afraid of the Fed anymore. Um, I, I think a lot of it, though, does start with the uh, the technicals. Um, why don't we start there? I think that makes okay. So, problem. what do you mean by that? Well, so most of the time when we're looking at the market, we're we're looking at things like, okay, how much is uh, our companies going to earn? How much are, um, you know, what what are people going to be willing to pay for that? And you come up with a number. But when you get into a a, a market like we're in right now, um, I think that gets much harder. There's just a lot of uncertainty out there, which has been responsible for, um, you know, more volatility than we're used to. You know, we've had you know, a VIX uh, for years that refused to go over uh, 20-ish most of the time. And that's we've the been, volatility index. That's right. And um, now it stays between 20 and, uh, you know, 20 and 30. Um, we just have a more volatile market. And that kind of market where we just, it, and it makes sense because we don't know so much. And when you're faced with a market like that, people start looking at the charts more. Um, or at least uh, the computers that trade the market look at the charts. Um, and, and that's really driving, I think, a lot of the, of the trading right now. Um, you have... Uh, but the charts are telling you really where people are flowing into stocks, where money is coming right. out. They really tell you a lot about trader and investor behavior. That, that, that's right. I mean, that's what you're, you're looking at is, you know, where, you know, it's not predictive of what's going to happen next, I don't think. But it's, it is predictive of like... Um, where money might start to accumulate. So what we saw last week um, was when the the stock market got down to 3,900. That was, you know, it's a big round number, but also I I don't like bringing this stuff up, but uh, it was the 61.8% Fibonacci retracement level of the June. Oh, don't say it. Yes, I said it. Um, (laughs) Now, I've joked before that Fibonacci numbers are best left for studying like the spirals on seashells, but sometimes they make sense. And this is one of the markets where people are paying attention to them. And so you saw the market bounce off of that level. And the only reason it had to bounce off that level is that it had hit a 200 day moving average at 4,300 and then dropped 9% straight down. Um, and, and so these technicals just mean a lot more right now. And I think that they're defining um, what's uh, what's really happening and then people are fitting narratives to uh are, are trying to fit narratives to the market action when really we're just stuck in this really big range between 3900 and 4300 right now 
And it could go on for quite some time. It, it really could. So what people are really focused on is this week's big news, the CPI report. That's a look at August inflation data. It's coming out tomorrow morning early. U.S. CPI rose 8.5% in July. That was down from 9.1% in June, which was the highest reading on inflation in 40 years. So economists predict the August um, that August saw further deceleration in inflation, but not a lot. And the question is whether it will be enough to dissuade the Federal Reserve from continuing on its aggressive interest rate trajectory this fall. What, what is your view on that? Um, well, I mean, the, the market is seeing uh, inflation drop uh, to uh, the rate drop to 8.1% in August. That'd be down from 8.5%. That's on the headline basis. Um, on a month over month basis, they actually see uh, inflation coming down 0.1% after being uh, flat um, um, the previous month. Um, you could get a very positive reaction if you would get these kind of numbers or even numbers that show slower inflation. Um, but I don't think the it's going to change what the Fed is going to do, um, largely because it's not going to be concerned with just one number. It does want to see inflation coming down consistently. But also, if you look over at the core CPI, that's kind of doing the opposite of what uh, the headline CPI number is doing. Um, so core is supposed to uh, rise um, to 6.1% year over year from 5.9%. And the month-over-month uh, -month number is supposed to rise 0.4%. Uh, 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 that'd be up from 0.3%. So in the core, there may be a little bit of an acceleration. But I also think that um, what the Fed isn't worried about is the is the um, inflation that's caused so much by commodity prices. Um, we're going to see oil and gas um, prices come down, and that's going to help bring down headline CPI. What they're really worried about is things like the job market, where wage gains are getting very sticky. Um, and I, I think the strength of the job market and the, with the wage gains there probably worry them more than anything. Um, and so I would be very surprised if um, any one number this week changes what the Fed is going to do. You know, our own economics writer, Lisa Bilfus, has pointed out that in order for the Fed to really bring down inflation closer to its target level of around 2%, it's going to have to clobber employment and bring the unemployment rate up above 6% or so. Yeah, that's a pretty pessimistic view. Um, yes. it, it, may be, <laughs> it, it may be correct, but I, I certainly think that you have to see weakness in the job market. Um, you know, I'm not going to fathom a, a guess at how weak it has to get. Um, but when you have uh, wages growing the way they are, um, if that gets sticky, that's where the inflation gets, um, you know, that that's where the inflation problem gets big. Um, you know, wages don't really come down um, once they go up. And so, you know, the Fed really wants to um, arrest that if they can. Um, and it remains to be seen um, if they're able to do it um, without doing what Lisa has described. Um, but I think for investors, what they need to remember is that, um, I mean, I've talked about this in some of my columns that, you know, we used to have a Fed put where if the market dropped, we could count on the Fed coming in and supporting it. I think we have to really think about the opposite now, that if the market is too strong, um, the Fed has to come in and uh, try to knock it down. 
um, the market, the stock market um, is, uh, you know, it, it is part of the financial conditions that are out there. And if there's so, too much, I'm sorry. Go so I was going to say you've got interest rates rising, you know, pretty steady path. We're talking about 75 basis points or or that's three, three quarters of a percentage point again in September. You've got concerns about unemployment actually starting to rise if the Fed's plan plays out. So why is the stock market rising? This, um, is, this is not welcome news, higher well, rates and higher and the, the market is, uh, number one, is always forward-looking. Um, so are they and, looking past all of this? I think so. I mean, I think there, there's part of that that is looking at uh, what the Fed has uh, um done and thinking okay maybe um it's getting close to finished um and that earnings might be able to hold up um through a lot of it and i think that's the the big thing is again the the earnings situation um is it, it, it there's still the earnings expectations have started to come down for next year but not a lot they're, they're still showing growth in earnings and uh, a resilient u.s economy um and that would be, uh, I think, something that would uh, help the market go up. We did have, uh, you know, we're still in this bear market for now. Um, and, and so that may have been predictive of what we're seeing at this point in Fed policy. Um, but I do think that uh, it, it's very possible that the market is underestimating how, um, um, you know, how, how aggressive the Fed will have to be. And I'd, I'd also like to say, you know, we just have to accept that this is a market that um, is is bouncing around a lot, um, you know. So we get these nine percent declines. Um, I mean, it was a very fast decline from the August high, um, and then we get a big fast bounce. Um, and people are keeping their positions light. Um, so you look at at portfolio managers; they're they're not holding. Um, you know, the active managers really aren't holding stocks to, um, to the same extent that they used to. Um, they're very quick to sell and they're also quick to buy back. And so you do get these exaggerated moves in both directions. Um, you know, what, what you really want to see in a healthy bull market is that the market goes up a little bit at a time, um, not these big uh, jumps every, uh, every day. Okay, so we're not going to solve the problem of the markets. Let's move on to talk about corporate earnings. We've got a light calendar this week for earnings, but we've got two old tech companies, as, as we call them, reporting. Oracle reports after the close tonight. Adobe reports on Thursday. Both should give us a window into companies' information technology budgets and a window into how the tech sector is doing generally. So let's start with Oracle. They report after the close, as I mentioned. What do you see ahead for them? Um, you know, I, I'm feeling pretty optimistic about Oracle. Um, you know, they're, they're down a, a bit this year, about 12%, um, which is, I, I think a little bit better than the stock market. Um, but they're cheap. You know, this is not an expensive, uh, tech stock. It trades at about 14.2 times forward earnings. Um, and, uh, earnings are supposed to, uh, come in when they reported at buck 07, that would be up from a dollar three a year ago. So there's a little bit of earnings growth there. Um, and, and so that in this market, if the Fed is raising rates, I, I'm, I think you still have to be cautious of expensive stocks and Oracle is not expensive. You know, it's 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 cheaper than the S&P, which is still in the uh, I think around 16 or 17 times at, at this point. Um, 
and had gotten, you know, I think it was threatening even to get back up to 18 times. So it's cheaper than the market. Um, but it's also going to benefit, um, you know, I was reading a, a Deutsche Bank note um, and they did some checks and, you know, they're hearing that uh, there, there's been a lot of momentum that's carried over from the from Oracle's fiscal fourth quarter into its first um, and that companies are still very interested in the cloud um, and are spending money there. And, and I think that's what's um, important is that, uh, you know, we hear about companies having to dial back on on their spending and things like that but the shift to the cloud and the need to have this it spending i think for some companies are going to weather this you know companies like oracle are probably going to weather whatever downturn in spending comes better because these are so essential now um apparently there's uh, the same deutsche bank analyst was saying that there's consistent demand on the infrastructure side of the business for both database for databases um and that Oracle's even been able to get people to pay more. Um, they're discounting less and they've announced an 8% uh, price increase that's in line with uh, the consumer price index. And that's supposed to take place in December. So all this bodes pretty well for um, Oracle um, as it goes into the, uh, as, it, as it goes into its report tonight. Um, it, it's been a, an interesting one to, to watch the old techs. I think, companies like Oracle and even uh, IBM is another one, you know, they, they've held up a bit better. Um, they haven't been great performers, but uh, they haven't gotten whacked the same way that a lot of the, uh, um, the new tech stocks that were so much more expensive have. Right, right. Well, that's partly, as you say, because corporate spending is still pretty strong. So what's the outlook for Adobe? They report on Thursday. You know, Adobe, uh, Adobe was a, a trader stock pick uh, early in the year. Um, mainly because it had hit a, uh, a technical level. I believe it was like 150 week uh, moving average. And this was a level that had held for years and years and years. And I didn't think it would break and it broke. Um, and the stock has just gotten really crushed this year. It's down uh, 30% or so. Um, but Adobe is an expensive tech stock. It still trades at uh, 25 times earnings. Um, so it's not cheap. Um, and, uh, you know, Mizuho actually downgraded the stock today, um, be arguing that, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna beat earnings, but that it's not gonna matter largely because guidance is probably gonna have to come down again. Um, Adobe cut his guidance the last time he reported there, um, he thinks they're gonna have to do it again. Um, and he thinks also that, uh, analysts, uh, you know, they're expecting, uh, the company to, um, to grow earnings, but he thinks that the expectations for next year are way too high and are going to have to come down. Um, and so, you know, the, the company, I mean, it's a good company, um, but it's just in this position where it, it might have a, a tough time um, just maintaining the kind of growth that it has had in the past, um, especially the kind of valuation that it still has. Um, and so, you know, heading into this, uh, I, I think with the print, uh, when the when the company does report, depends what happens going into into the number. You could get a, a pretty big bounce if it continues to to sell off uh, into into the report on Thursday. Um, but I think it's one where it might get that bounce, and then we're actually seeing this in some other tech stocks where they've gotten some pretty big bounces um, on the day of the earnings, and they've come down Palo Alto. Auto Networks did that. Broadcom did that. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Adobe did that. Interesting. We're going to watch for that on Thursday. 
So I want to move on to Starbucks, which has an investor day on Tuesday. Well, I will also remind listeners we're going to take questions at the end of the call. So now's a good time to start sending us your questions. Ben, I don't know about you, but my Starbucks habit kind of abated during COVID. And as we start to go back to the office, well, I find myself in Starbucks more often. But the company will have a meeting Tuesday. It will reveal its new strategy. It has a new CEO, Lakshman Narasimhan. He joins in October, but won't actually become CEO until April. In the meantime, he'll be learning alongside Starbucks founder and interim CEO, Howard Schultz. What are you expecting to be the highlights of Tuesday's meeting? And what do you think it will all mean for the stock? I I think what's been, why the setup is good for the new CEO um, is that the Starbucks has done a lot of the hard work already. Um, so they've had to, you know, spend more on salaries. They've been spending on technology. Um, they're, they're doing all these things right now um, that needed to be done. It was one reason the stock has kind of had a, a, a tough year. It's, it is down 24 uh, percent um in 2022 though i should say that barons picked it in june and it's gained 18 percent since then um and has outperformed the market by about 10 percentage points that was a pick from jacob sonnenschein and it's worked out really well. jacob that was a good one yeah it was nice i mean um so i i think that the focus then is going to be um on what the company is going to do to try to get growth back. You know, um, people want to see the margins return to normal. Um, they want to see, you know, the company has last, uh, you know, when they last talked in uh, 2020, you know, they said that uh, they wanted to have a you know long-term growth of 10 to 12%. And they're going to have to explain how they're going to uh, be able to grow earnings at that kind of pace and what they're going to do. And that's going to probably take some more tech um, kind of uh, investments to do. A lot of it is out of their hands as well. Um, China is going to be, um, you know, is still a big part of their growth. And obviously with continued COVID outbreaks and, and lockdowns there, um, you know, China is, is still under pressure. And um, if it if it if it continues to uh, face these things, meeting some of these goals might be hard. And so it'll be interesting to hear how they expect to be able to drive that kind of growth going forward. Um, you know, we remain optimistic. Uh, we thought it got beaten up too much um, uh, earlier this year, and that some of the factors um, that were had caused its weakness, you know, like China and things like that, were going to fade. Um, and it's probably good that, uh, you know, they did get the spending out of the way uh, for the new CEO. Um, but it'll be his chance to sort of uh, maybe start to put his stamp on things. As you said, he's not taking over for good and for real until April. Um, and so he has time to, to learn the ropes a bit from uh, from Schultz. Um, but it still looks like uh, it's a, a pretty interesting stock. And uh, if they can make a convincing case um, tomorrow, then um, I don't see why the stock can't keep gaining. Jacob could continue to be right. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the Starbucks around our office have closed, and I'm going to be listening myself to hear what the company's expansion strategy is from here, where they're going to keep opening new stores, where they might continue to close stores. Yeah, I, I always look around Midtown Manhattan and wonder how how reflective are we of the rest of the country? That's a point, um, too. Fair point. I, and I never know. All I know is my daughter, uh, since she, you know, she's back in school now, you know, she goes to Starbucks all the time. 
loves the place. Um, well, she must love the pumpkin specialties that have come out. She hasn't tried that yet. I think she was going to do that today. So. <laughs> All right. We'll Lucky see. She's, she's, my, she's my expert on everything Starbucks. You'll be a poorer man by the end of the week. Yes. So let's talk again about the economic calendar. We've got retail sales coming out Thursday. That's always one to watch, a good indication of how the U.S. consumer is faring. What's expected this month? It's going to be a, a weird report. Um, we're, we're not expected to see anything. We're actually supposed to get 0% growth on the headline basis. And you're supposed to get 0% ex-autos. Um, and, um, and, and this is, I mean, there's a lot of things happening here. One is that gas prices have fallen. And so that will probably bring down uh, consumer spending on the headline level. Um, and that uh, um, Goldman Sachs actually expects a, a drop of 0.3%, largely because um, of that sharp pullback in gasoline prices. Just they're not going to have to spend as much um, on gas and probably won't turn around and spend all the savings on other things. Um, but they also do see some decent signs uh, when you go ahead and look at what they call core retail sales. They see that growing by 0.1%. Um, it, it would be down from 0.8% that uh, in July. July got a lot of help um, from Amazon Prime Day. Um, if you remember that, I remember uh, yes. Jack Howe saying that he bought some fan for his head to wear at Disney, but ended up returning it, I think. Um, but, That's a uh, sight I'd like to see, by the way. But uh, me too. Um, but call. people bought a lot of stuff they didn't need in July from on Amazon Prime. Ben, Day. have I lost you there? Oh, can you still hear me? Hello? Yeah, okay. that's better. Um, so, yes. Yes. So, they, um, so they bought a lot of stuff that they didn't need and might not have bought as much stuff that they didn't need in, in August. But there are also signs that things like uh, the back-to-school shopping for clothes and, and shoes actually was pretty good um, and that people are also spending in restaurants. Um, and so there, there could be some good news in there on the consumer. Um, and I think the big thing is, you know, we're going to get these numbers that might reflect less spending on gasoline, but that's, that's good news. Um, you know, if, uh, if it takes the pressure off of consumers, um, so that they, you know, not everything that uh, people are making is going right out and to pay for, um, for necessities like, like gas and food and whatnot. So you mentioned our colleague, Jack Howe, who's a huge Disney fan, as in he loves to take his kids there. But let's take a moment and look at Disney stock, which has been in the news. Dan Loeb, big hedge fund manager, took a position in the stock, thought they might spin off or somehow hive off in another way, ESPN. Now he's changed his mind. Where do we go from here with Disney? The stock is at 115. It's a lot closer to its 52-week low than its 52-week high, which was 185. What's the outlook? And then we'll move on to some listener questions. Um, it's it's a tough one. Um, I look at Disney, I think I remember back when it was everybody was so excited about it because streaming was, you know, it jumped into kind of the, the number two streamer. Um, and so it was sort of a lockdown play. Um, but it was also a reopening play because, you know, the parks and the movie theaters are going to reopen. And this was all going to help it once things went back to normal. Um, and then I think two things happened. One is that they realized uh, people have realized that normal is it wasn't like a switch that would be flipped and every all of a sudden things would go back to the way they were. Um, and so like the, the parks business has been has been actually 
more profitable, but it's involved a lot of uh, raising of prices and things like that. Uh, the movie business has been good, but you know they often you know the the success of the movies is almost taken for granted at this point. But at the same time, streaming is looking at has been looked at more as a um, as something that is is a cost right now. You have to spend a lot to to do streaming, and um, I, th I think that really ended up hurting the company. Um, I, I do think people have started to realize that, you know, in, in streaming, bigger is better. Um, you'd much rather be a Disney, which has, you know, Disney Plus, um, it owns Hulu um, with Comcast, uh, but it owns, I think, most of Hulu at this point. And it owns um, uh, and, and, it has, and it has ESPN. And the more that you can offer, the better positioned you are, because then more people are going to want to sign up for your streaming plan. And so I think there is a realization that you want to keep all this stuff together. You don't want to end up like um, I'm probably going to be unfair, but you have, you know, Peacock on um, that uh, um, for, for NBC, um, which I, I look at and I'm like, I, they don't have enough here that I want to watch. Um, you got to have stuff that people want, especially when there's so many streaming services to choose from and you can't really pay for them all. It just gets too expensive. Um, That's so true. And, I think you either have to have Larry David or you have to have a critical mass. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and, and, so, and so I think that it does, that, that you know, that people are maybe starting to realize again that Disney, um, as much of a, um, a cost that streaming might be that you'd much rather be, uh, you know, Disney than say Paramount or uh, Comcast when it comes to the streaming wars. Um, and that the other things are going to take time. And, um, you know, we have to let things continue to work out. And so the stock has started to come back a little bit. Um, you know, I want to see a break 125. Um, it's down at about 115 right now, but it certainly seems to be uh, have found itself a bottom and working way up. The, the one thing I would say, it still trades at uh, almost 22 times earnings. So it's still not a, a cheap stock, um, but it is a lot cheaper than it was uh, earlier this year. I think it started the year at around 35 times. So it has gotten a lot cheaper than it was. Well, I, I found it interesting that Loeb changed his mind and changed his views. That doesn't often happen. Yeah, so, it's, uh, I, worth, I think we're uh, paying attention to. Yeah, it, it is, and and I do think it says something about the strength of Disney's streaming plans. Right, and and it's a vote of confidence in management as well. Yeah. So I want to move on to listener questions. We're getting a lot, and the first one comes from Mark, who asked, "When you give a." investment pick on the Barron's Roundtable television show on Fox Business. This is on Saturday mornings and replays on Sunday mornings. Everybody watch Ben on Fox Business. He's terrific. But when you give a stock pick or some other pick on the show, Mark wants to know what is the average holding period you have in mind? Yeah. Um, I'm always thinking about a year ahead. Um, okay. This is uh, basically, I think at Barron's, that's kind of been traditionally what our holding period is. Um, so we're looking out one year. And at that point, um, it's uh, what ideally would happen is we would say whether we still like it or not. Um, are there better opportunities out there? Um, I, I know when I write my, my trader column, you know, I try to acknowledge that there are times where I just realize that I've been wrong and I acknowledge it and say it's time to, you know, I, I got this wrong. 
um, there are times where, you know, you get things right and it happens so fast that it's, uh, um, you know, good to take some profits. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm almost always thinking ahead um, a year um, when I make uh, any pick. Okay, thanks for explaining that. Steve cites Guggenheim, Scott Minard. He mentioned last week that markets will tank by 20% by mid-October. This was a prediction he made, and a lot of people paid attention to that. It was quite an eye-opener. And Steve wants to know, do you think there's a higher chance of a downturn in the market versus a spike up between now and mid-October, followed by a rally into year-end? Sort of what's the roadmap into year-end here? Um, I think there can be, there may be a lot of volatility between now and um, the midterm elections. Um, and I think that, uh, they, that's why I personally wouldn't be surprised if we see another down leg at some point. Um, September is often a, uh, you know, tricky month. I'll put it that way. Um, and, um, so, so I could see that happening that we get a pullback. However, midterm elections are often followed by big rallies, um, often no matter the outcome. And, um, so when I was starting to think, of, you know, when I was thinking about this year, I expected it to be kind of a weak year with a bounce towards the end, just because it, it would, I, I would expected it to fall kind of this, sim, this uh, consistent, you know, mid-year, uh, midterm election pattern. Um, and, and so to answer your question, this is going to sound really wishy-washy. I expect another leg down um, sometime between now and the election, um, but I would expect a rally into the end of the year. Um, because that's what markets usually do when we have that midterm election. Um, okay. Past so does that, does that sound uh, too wishy-washy, overly specific? I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like you expect both. <laughs> I, I do expect both. It's a volatile market. Yeah, as you said. So Rick is talking about 2023. He wants to know if the Fed increases rates to 4% by the end of this year and keeps them at that level for all of 23, what will happen to the market? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, you know, I think it. I think it will adjust. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what markets do. Um, you know, there's a chance that this market, that this economy, um, is too strong. Is um, is so strong that it might be able to withstand what the Fed is dishing out right now. Um, I, I I think we're in a lot better position than say um, you know than Europe is, where I think Europe their inflation is really driven not so much by people wanting to buy things, but by, you know, the spike in, in oil and gas prices uh, caused by the, the, the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine um, and things like that. And now that uh, we're seeing things like um, the supply chain problems are starting to work themselves out and uh, other things like that, we might actually find out that the, the problem in the U.S. Is, 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 is much more of a, I don't know if you can call it a problem, um, but there's much more of a demand issue uh, in the U.S. and that it's possible that the economy uh, really can can take that kind of uh, interest rate increase and work its way through it. Um, so something I'm going to be thinking about uh, a lot as we kind of head into the end of the year um, is I have to start thinking about writing, you know, the, the look ahead column and that kind of thing. But that's how I'm starting to think about um, things right now, that, that there is this possibility that we're just uh, um, we have a pretty decent economy that can take this. 
Well, the Fed said that there will be pain, but I guess it didn't quantify how much there would be. Yeah, and what the what that pain would look like. Right, right. So let's talk about some more immediate news. Hal wants to know your thoughts about the possible real workers strike. Um, my guess is it gets worked out by before the deadline. Um, I, I did find it interesting that um, uh, Bank of America upgraded uh, the major rail stocks um, uh, today, um, despite uh, the possibility of, of a strike. Um, you know, the market is very good at uh, um, spotting things that uh, people aren't talking about uh, a lot. And then by the time that uh, uh, they start getting talked about, uh, it's already in the market. And so that's very possible that that's one of the one of the things that have gotten uh, that, that's already priced into the market at this point. Um, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I, I will, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, the, the rail stocks have gotten hit hard this year um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. But there, there could be a deal worked out before Friday. So. Hopefully so, because that would not be great for the economy if there were a strike. Agreed. So. Let's um, let's move on to Fred. He wanted to know: Shouldn't a discussion of streaming involve some discussion of Netflix, which you didn't really dwell on? Yeah, I, I sort of see Netflix. Um, it's it's so dominant. I mean, I, I'm not sure. I, I, so I view it almost as outside uh, the whole the whole battle. I know it has to keep fighting to keep subscribers at this point and gain them outside the U.S. Um, but it feels like it's something that, uh, you know, people have and they tend to keep. Um, and so it's like you have Netflix and then what else are you going to have to go along with it? Um, and, and so I, I do find it interesting. Like uh, right now, when people are talking about streaming, um, they're talking about uh, HBO uh, Max and the, uh, the new Game of Thrones show. I can't remember its name. Um, and they're talking about... Uh, Amazon um, and its uh, um, and its Tolkien uh, spinoff uh, from the Lord of the Rings, um, and, and those are the shows that people are talking about. But those are also, uh, you know, they're the they're still streaming companies that are fighting for their position within the hierarchy. Where I think Netflix is still unquestionably uh, the king of streaming. It still needs to, um, I think, figure out how to get. Con better content, content that uh, um, that is maybe flashier a, a bit, um, but it also doesn't quite need to do the same kind of uh, this kind of same big bet that uh, HBO and um, and uh, Amazon have done on their two uh, uh, fantasy shows. Um, so you're you're absolutely right. Netflix needs to be discussed, but I always think of them as sort of in this position of primacy. Okay, and one more company. Um, Nick asks about your thoughts on Apple after last week's iPhone event. The company introduced the iPhone 14. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't really, I, I'm not, a. this is probably shocking, but I'm not an Apple person. Um, I have a Pixel, Google Pixel phone. Um, <laughs> that so is shocking. And it's and I think it's actually a genetic thing because my brother also has a Pixel phone and we didn't discuss this with each other. We both independently ended up with Google Pixels. So my genetics and cell phones go together, but okay then. You know that, that's that's my guess. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know I think that uh, you know historically the the phones haven't um, 
been market moving for the stock. What is is you know it keeps people in the Apple ecosystem, and you know the the Apple share of the smartphone market ha- is growing. I think actually this is the, this year they passed fifty uh, percent uh, for the first time, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and you know, so it's one of those things where it, it's more important that Apple not flub it um then uh then do something new and exciting i think at this point people just you know they uh, for one example my daughter talks about wanting to get a pixel phone too um but she's not going to because all her friends use um you know apple's chat tools and things like that and so she's going to stick in the apple universe and so people will continue to get new phones so i think as long as they just keep putting out phones that people want and don't stink they're probably going to do just fine. Um, though it is, uh, you know, Apple's had two very good days in a row now. Um, and who knows, maybe it is because of, uh, of the phone. Well, maybe you'll be switching one of these days. Never. We'll find out. I'm a Samsung person myself. And with that, we're going to end today's call. Thank you so much, Ben. And thanks, thanks, for, thanks to our listeners for your good questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, senior writer Lauren Foster will talk with Joseph Davis, global chief economist at Vanguard and global head of the firm's investment strategy group, about the outlook for the U.S. economy and how investors should position themselves for the volatility ahead. We've talked a lot about volatility today, and the conversation will continue tomorrow. Please join us. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in today. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.